This is The Space Shot, episode 369 for May 30th, 2018. Exoplanets, a STEM education chat with Mr. Strickland's fourth grade class. I'm John Molnix. Last week, I spoke with Josh Strickland and some of the students in his classes about an exoplanet project they had been working on. Besides learning about exoplanets from some of the students in his classes, we also talked about education. That's the main part of today's episode, so be sure to give it a listen. These kids are pretty dang smart, and it was really fun talking with them. I've also got a bit of news to share with you today. On May 29th, 2018, Virgin Galactic's VSS Unity space plane performed its second powered flight. The vehicle reached Mach 1.9 and an altitude of 114,500 feet. Testing on Spaceship 2 will continue through the rest of this year. I've also got one quick pop culture note. I saw Solo, a Star Wars story, last night, and it was a fun summer action sci-fi movie. I really don't get all of the hate this movie has been getting from critics. It is what it is, a summer blockbuster movie. There's an interesting cameo at the end of the movie that really intrigued me, and I hope that this character is brought back in the next installment of the standalone anthology movies. Also, the Kessel Run is visually spectacular, and I won't say anything else about it, but go see it. If you can catch it on a big, big screen, do so. My buddies and I saw it on a Cinemark XD screen last night, and that Kessel Run on that massive screen was phenomenal. Now, let's check in with Mr. Strickland and some of his students at Harlow Elementary. And I'll go ahead and introduce them to you if that's okay. Sure, yeah, go ahead. So we have Maimona. Hi. Jasmine. Hello. And Karis. Hi. And these are fourth graders at Harlow Elementary. How are, how are all of you doing today? Good. Thank you all for taking the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. Of course. We're honored. It's, a, it's an exciting thing. Exactly. This is the first time I've been able to talk to a class before, so I'm really excited to have all of you on here. So your, your teacher, Mr. Strickland, was talking to me about how you all have been learning about Kepler and the exoplanets that are in that system. Who wants to start it off and tell me a little bit about what you've been learning about? Well, I think Maimona may be the best one to start. Um, one thing I will throw out there to begin is that uh, they all had their own unique exoplanet to study, and not all of them were from the Kepler system. Okay. Uh, Maimona, what was the name of your exoplanet? Kepler 62F. 62F. Fantastic. And when y'all speak, just leaning kind of close. Um, yep. Harris, what was your exoplanet? Kepler 186F. Awesome. And J Jasmine, what was yours? Kepler 62F. Oh, so I guess by luck of the draw, we do have three Keplers, but other <laughs> ones included Wolf 1061C. I know okay. we had... Um, Proxima Centauri B. Um, we had a few other exoplanets that were studied, but um, thankfully all the ones today are different Kepler ones. <laughs> no worries. No worries. I think you guys are going to be the experts on these even more so than I am. So it'll be good to hear <laughs> from all of you. So talk to me a little bit about the project. What inspired you to, to learn about these exoplanets? And what inspired you to teach about these exoplanets, I guess, more specifically? Well, the, all year long, uh, they know that my classroom is more of a space focus. My bulletin board outside says, let's put footprints on Mars. And I've got planets, nice. <laughs> planets hanging from the ceiling. So it's just a passion of mine. Um, I have no experience in the industry, but I feel like something that's very 
uh, practical in their lifetimes. And I know you mentioned this in an email to me, but they're going to grow up in an age where we're sending humans to other parts of the solar system, to the, back to the moon, to Mars. And I tell you girls and our students this all the time, this is going to be a part of you growing up in high school and choosing you know, a college. And I try to encourage them to pursue those kinds of things, those degrees, those, those jobs outside of school as much as possible. And tell me if I'm wrong, but y'all are excited about this stuff, right? Yeah. It's pretty incredible. I mean, we're, we're uh, entering a time where the technology is finally catching up with a lot of the, you know, the things we've been hoping we would see for a while. I mean, we're still a couple decades away from being able to directly, you know, see what's what's on these exoplanets, but it's it's an incredible time nonetheless. Um, did you guys watch the launch of the TESS satellite? Yes. No. What, no. no, that's all right. What what did you uh, for for those who watched it, what did you think about it? I thought it was cool to see like um to see how it launched. It's yeah, the Falcons are pretty awesome uh, rockets to uh, watch lift off. So that that mission's a little bit different than Kepler and then some of the other exoplanets that you've studied. So who wants to tell me a little bit more about their particular exoplanet? It was a few weeks ago. Why don't you share a little bit about yours first? Okay, um, Kepler 62F, it was in the habitable zone, but it was also a super Earth. And a super Earth, what do you mean by that? It means it's like extra large. All right. Do, do you remember how much bigger it was? Um, I think we have that. Because that's one I haven't heard about. I remember hearing about 186F. But this other one, that's that's uh, the one that I, I haven't heard as much about, I guess. We're looking for it. We remember that no worries. It written down. We also, I know she can tell you a little bit about its orbit. Yeah, that would be cool. I was just going to say, you know, there's lots of different uh, Earth-sized worlds and super Earth-sized worlds as well. Do you remember what it's called when those planets uh, orbit in a potentially, um, in a zone where life could potentially exist? Yeah, why don't y'all help her out? What's it called? Yes. <laughs> and why, does, why do they call it that? Because it's able to have life on it. Yep. Like Earth. So, Karis, what do you call it? A habitable zone. Mm-hmm. Which means it's it's what? It's where life could, the planet could sustain life. That's fantastic. Mimona, why don't you share a few of the characteristics about uh, Kepler-62F? I know you've got a few over there that you've written down on your project. Uh, Kepler 62F um, orbits the its sun every 265 days, and um, scientists might predict that this exoplanet is covered mostly with water. Wow! So it's an ocean world. Interesting. That's really cool. What What was your favorite part about learning about that exoplanet? Uh, that it was. That land could have, like, there was some land on it, but it couldn't, it wasn't, it wasn't brown and green, like the grass and the ground. That's really interesting. Thinking about the artist impressions? Yeah. I think that was one of the things that inspired all of us the most. We're, we're looking at some of these artistic impressions of, of what they might look like. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Those, those really help spur the imagination. And a lot of them, they, you know, they try to base those off of what they know about the planet. So they, they try to make those as scientifically accurate as possible too, which I think is really, really intriguing. 
So who's next? Karis, you want to go? We'll let you go next, Karis. Just remember, you just act like he's another Mr. Strickland. Let's <laughs> <laughs> talk normal. Why don't you uh, tell us about your episode planet, 186F? Kepler 186F is in the habitable zone, like Kepler 62F. Very cool. What What's special about your exoplanet? Kepler 186F is 1.5 times bigger than Earth. Wow. That's pretty cool. And you, you said you made a 3D model of that one, right? Right. Well, I wish we could see it because it's, it's basically radio here, so I can't see it. But um, I'd, I'd love to see a picture of it. So maybe uh, Mr. Strickland can send me a picture of it at some point. Absolutely. We will definitely do that. Cool. So what, what did you learn while making that 3D model? That Kepler-186F could have water. Really? Do you, that that's really cool. What do you what do you think could uh, live in the water on that planet? Do you, do you have any ideas or any hopes for something? Okay. Not really. Okay. It's it's pretty hard to imagine what you know what life there would look like. It it could look like totally different from anything we've ever seen here on Earth, or even you know potentially similar. There's there's so many different forms those uh those uh different life forms could take so i'm i'm you know looking forward to hopefully being able to be around when we discover something like that same here can you say <laughs> what you told me you thought might be in the water on the exoplanet might be in the yeah you just had a good thought <laughs> people's heads might be where their butt's supposed to be <laughs> 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 that would be interesting, you know. Hey, life doesn't have to look like it does here on Earth. That's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And I know in class time, and girls, y'all can talk about this if y'all want. We there were times when we had to kind of talk about how we don't know if there's life out there because yeah. it hasn't been proven. But we can educate a guess. We can form a hypothesis, and we can talk about what it might be like. Right. It's interesting to think about. And Karis, one thing I'd like you to mention because. And again, she's already done the research on this, and they wanted it. Uh huh. What kind of stars do both of your exoplanets orbit around? Red dwarfs. That's a little bit different than our star, isn't it? Yes. How so? Mm hmm. It's, it's, it's smaller than our sun. So, what does that mean then for the planets that are orbiting around it? It won't get as much sunlight if it's farther away from it. So it wouldn't look as big in the sky or it wouldn't be as bright in the sky necessarily, depending on where the planet orbits. That's pretty, pretty remarkable to think about. Mm -hmm. Might mean that there's some different characteristics about their world as compared to Earth. Exactly. Which was really the whole point of the project. You know, we had to learn about our own Earth and its systems like the water cycle, the weather. And by comparing it to an exoplanet, well, that just, you know, boosts engagement and gives them something totally new to think about. Yeah. Well, and, you know, for like those red dwarfs, I remember reading something where it was saying like the high noon here on Earth, you know how bright it is right at noon. But some of those exoplanets, their high noon could be about as bright as our evenings are here just because the stars are so much dimmer. So just imagining what life would have to, you know, if there's life there, what that potential life form would have to do to adapt to less sunlight. Absolutely. 
So, you know, they, they might be able to see, you know, way better in the dark than we could. I mean, there's just so many different potentialities for those life forms. It's pretty cool to think about. Mm-hmm. And that's where those adaptations come into play. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Behavioral and physical. Y'all have some good thoughts. Make sure y'all are speaking up. All right. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I couldn't, I couldn't hear you as well on that one, but that's definitely, you know, that's definitely something that the behavior, if you're not in sunlight all the time, you might behave a little bit different too. That's, that's a good point. Absolutely. That was what we just had transitioned to for our new unit. So that was a good comment. So what, what are all of you learning about now then? Like how did the, what you learned about the Kepler plan or all these exoplanets, both the Kepler mission and others, uh, what, what are you learning about now and how does that tie into what you learned about in your last unit? We're learning about the adaptations of living organisms. And it's kind of like what it can be like in different habitats. That would be a good connection because these new worlds would clearly be a different habitat, right? For sure. And well, and you know, it's not just the worlds and other uh, in other solar systems either. Here, humans, when we, you know, when they're up in space for a long time, our bodies change in microgravity as well. I just interviewed uh, the author of a book on Skylab, the Skylab missions. And when I was reading that book, it was talking about how the astronauts had to adapt to being about two plus inches taller when they were on the space station. So their bodies changed, you know, just in the span of a couple weeks. So they, they returned back to normal. So they, they, they became short, a little bit shorter again when they landed on Earth. But your body adapts to, to microgravity, to different, you know, different levels of gravity. So it'll be interesting to see how humans are able to handle those adaptations as we go to the moon and to Mars. So that's a cool, it's a cool thing that all of you are learning about right now. Yeah, absolutely. Jasmine, why don't you share about your exoplanet real quick? My exoplanet is called Kepler-62f. And one thing that I thought was cool is that it's not really, it doesn't really have seasons, but the year it's divided into two. So the first half Hmm. of the year, it's hot and warm, and the second is cold. Do you remember why that is? Mm, Because of its tilted axis. That's pretty remarkable. Those that just the number of different planets that all of you have been able to study. I, I bet that none of them were alike. Mm-hmm. No, they all had very unique characteristics. And I don't know if 62F was like this, but one of them was tidally locked, where mm-hmm. one half of the planet was nighttime always, and one half was was daytime always. It's that, that would make for one toasty side of the planet. That's for sure. Absolutely. What were some other things? Um, the sun was smaller than our sun, and it's sixty nine percent of our sun. So sixty nine percent as as massive as our as our sun. Yes. Interesting. So what what does that mean then for the habitable zone for those planets? That means that the atmosphere might be a little different than ours. Okay. So when a, when a star is a little bit smaller, does how does that affect the orbits of the planets then? What, what do the planets have to orbit at in order to be in that Goldilocks zone? It might be a little quicker. Okay, so they're moving around faster. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you know how that helps the Kepler mission? No, not really. 
No worries. It's a little, that was a little bit trickier question. When they orbit around faster, it transits in front of the star a little bit quicker. So instead of, you know, transiting once a year like Earth does, it would be, you know, 130 days or 150 days. So we can see it pass in front of that sun or that other star uh, more quickly. So that allows us to make more observations on it. And if they were doing it on a monitor, there'd be a huge dip when the planet went in front of the star. Exactly. Because that, that, uh, that star's brightness would dip when the planet goes in front of it. That's exactly it. We learned about that, but it wasn't a primary focus of the project. So okay. It was pretty cool. cool. That's a concept, honestly, that I feel even younger grades could have grasped. I mean, these yeah. players, they got it because you could yeah. demonstrate that with a flashlight. But Exactly. It's really cool how these topics can you know, fit in elementary school so well. Oh, yeah. Well, and just being able to start out students at a young age learning about all of all of these missions is just incredible. I mean, when I was in elementary school, I don't think we had any confirmed exoplanets. Um, I'm dating myself a little bit here on this one, but (laughs) it it was, you know, back during the shuttle program. And I remember growing up with all of those missions, but um, it was in the mid 90s that they actually announced the discovery of the first exoplanet. So I was uh, definitely, I think, a little bit uh, older than fourth grade, unfortunately. So right, it's one of the things of our generation now that's coming up. Yeah, cool. it's a great time to to be an educator. I'll tell you that. It is well, and just all of the different resources that you have that you can share with your students is just remarkable. I mean, being able to engage them on so many levels with real science, and that just it, just as astonishing to me. So, absolutely, um, John. I'm sure you have some other questions, but before we move on sure. to Jasmine's exoplanet project, could you talk about what you did with the different soil samples and your your prediction? Uh, her particular group took a different approach to this project and model that they built, and I, I'd love for you to share kind of what your you did and what your thoughts are. We thought that Kepler sixty two F would be more rocky than Earth. Hmm. Okay. And so. Put some rocks in a jar for our experiment. Interesting. What did what did you uh, do the experiment on? Um, the ground of Kepler sixty two F and Earth. So it was more of they built a model to describe the differences. I wouldn't quite say it in experiment, but why don't you describe kind of you know the layers? Talk about how you use your research to form that as compared to the soil sample. Um, we thought that the bottom layer for Kepler 62F would be more rocky with tiny little um, more rocks. And the top okay. soil would be, well, not the top soil, but the upper would be more bigger rocks. Hmm. That would be cool to, to see if you're right. I would love to travel there and find out myself. I think it's a little bit farther far away for all of us, unfortunately. Absolutely. <laughs> Mr. Strickland, you know, what are some of the uh, resources that you use for your students in the classroom? So we're not a one-to-one uh, campus, which means we don't have a device for each student, but we definitely get them on a device when possible to do their own research. Pretty early on, um, we had them doing research just as a, uh, let's see what kind of websites we can find that talk about okay. these exoplanets. Um, I eventually compiled a list of them, but... okay. The very first time we introduced this topic to them, they all got on devices and were just searching and searching. 
to see what they could find, whether it made a more higher academic article or not. Uh, Just getting them exposed to it and and the practice of researching was a huge uh, point for me in this project. Yeah. They were were partnered up in groups. Um, Maimona and Jasmine were in different classes, even though they both had the same exoplanet. Uh, Okay. That group element is key, though, because we would watch some videos. And this is another resource I would say I leaned on. Uh, videos of other scientists that have studied these. Uh, I know we watched one video that talked about um, the James Webb Telescope, and there was a uh, a lady scientist who was one of the leads on this. And um, having them watch these videos really helped it to make more sense. Because I can talk about this all day, but yeah, really see a 3D simulation of tests being launched, which I know I showed y'all. Um, it doesn't quite make sense. So I know videos were a big part of it. You know. We, we were able to reach out to Dr. Swain at uh, NASA JPL, forming that real-life connection, having that video call. That was a huge uh, plus. Um, yeah, for sure. And honestly, I wasn't originally planning to have so many of my groups you know, offer them the opportunity to make a 3D model of Earth and their exoplanet. But I think putting the learning in their hands, having them actually take what they're reading about Earth and their exoplanets and being told, okay, well, you need to show me what would the water cycle look like on earth and on your exoplanet? Hmm. What would the weather look like? Are you going to draw clouds or paint clouds on your model? Giving them that opportunity to think, you know, in a 3d hands-on way really, I would say transformed their learning. Well, it's, it's a great visual way to compare two planets. So I think that's a fantastic way to do that. Absolutely. And for any educators out there listening, I would also recommend STEM scopes. It's a, it's kind of one of our behind-the-scenes resources that helps us teachers to navigate the the science uh, standards, mm-hmm. and they offer great hands-on ways to integrate STEM, which is science, tech, engineering, and math, as well as other learning checks and uh, reading passages throughout the way. Um, I would say STEM scopes helped me to integrate reading and language arts into this project more so than I had previously thought, because they had to write, they had to read, um, but this is a science and writing classroom, so it was mainly the science, but to integrate those things really I would say helped it to to stand out as a good project. For sure. And that's, you know, being able to write well and being able to communicate those ideas both verbally and in a written form is really important. So it's a great skill to be developing when you're in elementary school. So everybody keep writing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I heard it from him. What was it you were going to say? Uh, we are taller in space because there's no gravity in space to hold our bones together. Yeah, you get a little bit stretched uh, stretched out up there. It's pretty crazy. The the spacesuits can fit differently. Their clothes fit a little bit differently when once they're up in space for a while. Uh, it'd make me even a little bit taller. I know I'd have to buy some new pants if I was to go up there because they just would be uh, a little bit too short for me. <laughs> <laughs> so what what do uh, all of you want to do then for the you know when? With what you've learned for this, does it make you want to go into a field in space or in science? Yes. Yes. Well, talk more about that. What do you mean? And you don't have to say yes. I I tell you, yeah, that's okay. Y'all can do anything y'all want in life, but why don't y'all tell me kind of what you're thinking? Well, um, I thought that maybe I could be one of the people who could discover an exoplanet. I think that's definitely possible. Um, I think I could be one of the people that can go to an expo planet. I, I would love to do that as well. That'd be very cool. You've had a thought before. It doesn't have to be space related. What kind of yeah, that's okay. Yeah. In the future. 
being not great. Being a veterinarian? My grandpa was a veterinarian. That's pretty cool. He he helped dogs and cats, and he even did some uh, farm animal practice when he started out. So he was a veterinarian for a long, long time. He even taught over um, in Holland. He taught in New York. So he, he taught and practiced around the country, which is pretty cool. So if you want to be a veterinarian, it's an awesome job. That's great. I, I think you can definitely do that, Karis. I mean, all of y'all. This is just one example of y'all working together as a team, which you do in any job in life, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, collaborating, doing research, writing down what you've discovered and learned. That's part of everything. Well, and even if you're working by yourself, I mean, a lot of these podcasts I do on my own. But, you know, Mr. Strickland and I, we would, we've been working now for a couple of weeks to pull this together for today. So even if you're working alone, being able to work as part of a team is important. Absolutely. And I can honestly say that I've used both the Space Shot and other space podcasts to help prepare me as a teacher to teach about these things. I mean, I didn't just learn this by, by watching a YouTube video. It's taken a long time and it's my passion, but podcasts are a great way to learn about new things. Definitely. I would say my other resources. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad I have a little bit of a commute because that half hour each day means I get to learn and learn about something new that I wouldn't have otherwise had time to learn about. So, Absolutely. Well, Mr. Strickland, I I've, don't have any other questions. Does, does anyone have questions for me? Anything goes. Uh, you can't think of anything? Have you ever been anything else before? You've been broadcasting like a scientist? So uh, that's a that's a good question. In another lifetime, I was actually a professional bench jeweler for about 13 years. So I made jewelry. I fixed it. I did all sorts of, you know, soldering and all that fun stuff. So I'm I'm kind of hoping I can start to do more. Uh, technical things in the future just for fun. So whether it's, you know, fun little robotic uh, projects or something else, I think I've got more than enough experience for soldering things together. So <laughs> that's very cool. But yeah, this this has been something I've always been interested in, though. So it, it's it's uh, been a passion project for me for a while. And eventually it'll turn into something in the space industry. So you can literally and that's the thing. If you get tied into a career and you're not happy with it, you can always change. You don't have to be you know, what you uh, graduate from school for, uh, for the rest of your life. You can be anything. That's so true. I did not go to school to become a teacher, didn't major in it, but uh, I've always, it's always been my passion. So that's just another yeah. example. You know, whatever you do in life, you can form your own, exactly. form your own path. Exactly. Any other questions or comments? Anything you want? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Any, anything that you, you know, wanted to talk about that you might've missed? I'll say something um, that I hopefully will prompt y'all. What do y'all think this means for the rest of our our campus or our district? I mean, I've told y'all all along that I don't want us to just learn the same old stuff we've always learned. You know, what do you think this means for you as you go on to other grades or for other students in our school that might go through my class in the future? I mean, what do you what do you think about how things look at Harlow? Um, they look. Um better than the other schools because they don't learn like other things so they can um, know things that are on higher level. They can prepare them. Prepare them for what? For um for like other grades 
because you've been teaching us um, stuff that we might do in fifth grade. Mm-hmm. I try to mention them. Yeah. It's also to prepare us for what well, we're adults. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And would y'all say this is something that we should try to bring to other other campuses, other places within Anna ISD? Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. And that's my hope for y'all. As y'all move up to fifth grade and middle school, my hope is that y'all try to take some of these classes, whether it's robotics or coding or, you know, those extra level science classes or, you know, when you're in a conversation in class, bring up some of these things you've learned about. You know, we can have these discussions and we can um, take our learning to the next level by thinking back to these other connections that we've made in the past. That's that's a fantastic uh, way to look at everything in life. You know, all of your experiences will build on each other. So your experience with Mr. Strickland in this class will build on future classes that you have and then it'll just, it'll make you uh, appreciate a wider variety of things. So I think that's a fantastic way of looking at life. Next year, Mr. Strickland's gonna be a fifth grade teacher and um, he can um, teach us more about exoplanets when we're in a higher level. Well, it's interesting. They're super excited. I'm glad Maimona mentioned that. They just found out last week that I'm moving up with them to fifth grade. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, fifth grade writing and social studies. So okay. my goal will be to infuse science into that somehow, but uh, interesting. I'll have to get back to you with how I'm able to do that. Well, and that's one of the things that I've been kind of interested in um, just because of my background's in political science and okay. the technology side um, is something that, you know, for policy and all that, all that other stuff is something I've been thinking a lot about. So I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about for that. Absolutely. And we'll stay in touch too, because I mean, one of my goals as an educator and y'all know this girls is that I want to find more ways to emphasize STEM, you know, into our class, no matter if it's writing, reading, or, or a science and math class. And so uh, this was one of my attempts to do that with the writing portion of my class. And I think uh, hopefully we can be a beacon to other educators out there. And I would encourage any other teachers or if anyone out there is just a, you know, a proponent, a, a supporter of education, public education, definitely reach out to me because I want to see uh, these science topics, STEM, be infused in our classrooms even more than they are right now. Well, and, and uh, as we were talking about a little bit earlier, I'm going to have there's a upcoming education focused episode that I'm going to be doing. And I will definitely be doing more of those over the summer, just because I think a lot of students go home and, you know, there's really kind of a disconnect between the end of the school year and the beginning of the school year. Right. And learning, it, it can be a lot of fun. It doesn't have to be boring or anything like that. So being able to you know, put things in your summer activities that help you learn is one of the things that I think is awesome. And it's made me a lifelong learner. I, I read from whether it's a history book, a science book, I read every day and I write every day and I try to make it fun. So, you know, as students, I would, I would challenge all of you to try to, you know, read every day this summer, to write a little bit every day, to learn, learn something new, whether it's science or history or just, you know, reading fiction for fun. Uh, definitely don't let the summer just be for fun. I mean, it, it definitely has to be fun. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> try, try to do stuff for, uh, to help uh, expand your knowledge over the summer as well. Can I do that? Yes. Yeah.
Well, hey, could I could I get a big th- uh, just a big uh, thank you to everybody for coming on? You guys were awesome. So just everybody, give yourselves a round of applause. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> we can do that. Thank you so much, John. <laughs> um, thank you. Back to him. Thank you. It was a blast. Thank you so much for uh, the opportunity. Hey, thank you, Josh. I appreciate it. Hey, everyone. One last thing before you go today. If you enjoy the space shot, leave us a five-star review in iTunes. Reviews help more people find the show, which helps us reach even more listeners. Thanks for taking the time to listen and leaving a quick review. Until next time, I'm John Molnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.